I think if you were to take six words to categorize Corinthians, it would be division, 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 um, Christ, Christ, Christ. And what we're going to find is this repetition where we go back, here's the division and here's, here's the, uh, the result. And, and that's how we really are looking at this book. Uh, the first four chapters specifically are, are earmarking the, 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 the dissensions that are occurring within this church. And, and so I call it the Corinthian Continental Divide, if you will. Uh, and we're going to look at it. Um, I'm actually going to go back to verse 9. I had it already last week, but uh, COVID had different plans for me. And, and we're going to put the two together because uh, 9 through 13 is basically the problem, but the antidote is in uh, verses 18 through 31. And so I'm just going to go through very, very quickly. Jay did a fantastic job last week, but I'm going to actually earmark some of the things uh, that he said, and then we're going to launch into um, uh, verse 18. But uh, corrective command and then the countermeasures is basically what we're looking at. A great divide. Do you know we have a, a great divide in the United States? It's called the Continental Divide. Uh, for those of you who are into plate tectonics, anyone? Anyway, we, our crust is all cracked because of the Noahic flood. And we have this, this, this continental divide. Look at the gold line. It goes all the way up from Alaska, and it goes all the way down to um, South America. Uh, so it's, we call that the continental divide. And it separates the landmass into two water drainage systems. So if you were to take a cup of wa water and you, you poured it right on the continental divide, half of that cup would go to the Pacific Ocean. Well, it would evaporate before then. I get it hypothetically, in a perfect environment, the other half would go into the Atlantic Ocean, and that's, that's the definition of the continental divide. And here it is. It's mapped. Um, you can see it. Uh, the Great Divide, the one that goes from Alaska to South America. And here it is from space, and this shows it over the, um, uh, the, 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 the mountains uh, in Colorado. Uh, but this is actually from a weather balloon. Uh, for those of you who believe in a flat earth, notice that the earth is a curvature. And this is from a weather balloon. This isn't one made up by some NASA. Um, uh, anyway, we'll go on. Here's the continental divide at Logan's Pass in Colorado. For those of you who've gone through uh, hiking. So it has an effect down and up. You can see it. You can see it everywhere. You can see it on maps. You can see it on satellite imagery. You can see it everywhere. It has, a, has an incredible, incredible um, impact to our Earth's crust. Paul is going to be telling us today that there are continental-like divisions um, within the church uh, that, that, that are serious, and these fractures described in the first uh, four chapters have far-reaching consequences. We're going to look at the command, and then we're going to look at a countermeasure. The countermeasures, a, a de definition of countermeasure is an action taken to counteract a danger or threat. And interestingly enough, what um, uh, Dr. Schubert brought out in his application uh, parallels perfectly with what Paul is going to be saying in verses 19 through 31, talking about the countermeasures to um, keeping disunity within a body of believers. So let's go ahead, open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start with verse 9. And we're going to read through the whole chapter. God is faithful. The, 
through whom you were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete of the same mind, same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Uh, now I mean this, that each one of you is saying the four eyes, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, Cephas, and I am of Christ. Uh, has Christ been divided? Uh, was not Paul crucified for you? Was he or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And I, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I, I just don't know whether I baptized any other. And here's the reason. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Here's the countermeasures. Think about this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the word of the cross is the power of God to us who are being saved by it. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where are the scribes? Where is the debater of this age? Where's the philosopher? Where's the secular scientist? Where's the humanist? I inserted that. <laughs> Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Uh, just stop right there. Uh, the wisdom that uh, Dr. Schubert talked about in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that foolishness, the wisdom of the world, began, began a conversation between a serpent and uh, uh, Eve, and then Eve with her husband, and then everything fell apart, humanly speaking. Let's continue on. Verse 21, for God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for signs, and Greeks, in their faulted philosophy, search for wisdom. But we preach Christ, crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, the elect, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and all the weakness of God is stronger than men. And here's the bottom line, the word for. For consider your calling, brethren, this is the first time he's referred to them as brothers, uh, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. Uh, but God has chosen, there's that word again, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And God has chosen the, the base things of the world. And God has chosen and despised the things that are not of the world. And the despised in the world, and I'm sorry, and the despised in the things that are not of the world so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, the conversion and fruit of salvation. And, and I love this last verse. I love this one. Let him who boasts, not boasts in Paul, Peter, Christ, in the sense if you're using it in a sectarian type of way, but boast in the Lord. 
And I like the next verse in chapter 2, verse 1. It's a bad division because uh, this argument's going to carry on to the, fir- to the second chapter of, of, Corin- of Corinthians, and Brian's going to cover that next week. But he, he repeats brothers for the fourth time uh, in the first verse, chapter 2. And the reason why that's so important is that you look at Galatians, man, he's mad, right? He starts off in the, you don't see brothers and all this affectionate stuff oozing out of Paul when he's talking to the Galatian church because they're falling into error. Isn't it interesting? The Corinthian church, though, and with all of their good behaviors, right? I'm being sarcastic when I say that. He basically affectionately comes to them and, and, and approaches them. And they're a church. They're believers in Christ. And Paul acknowledges that. Real quick. Um, we're going to go through this quick. The map, Corinth emphasis. Um, first, second, third missionary journey. Paul wrote uh, Corinthians, third missionary journey. He was in Ephesus. Let's see if, you can, if I can point to that with my little thing. Anyway, it's not doing very good. Let's try this one. Okay, Ephesus is right here. Here's Corinth. And so Paul, in his third uh, journey, uh, towards the end of his time, three years in Ephesus, um, writes that. It's interesting, just for historicals, there's a reference uh, in Acts 18.20 about Gallio as proconsul of Achaia, and actually we found documents and, and archaeology has pointed to the fact that this guy did exist, that he was there, and it was right around the time frame which we sets in about 54 and 55 AD, the time of writing. And you know, that's important for me right here for all of us to realize that the Word of God is a historical document. There's narrative, and it sets in the concrete of history. And what's so cool is they, they excavate Corinth. It was under dirt for a long time, and then they uncover it, and, and finally it just really validates the things that we see hoarding God's Word. And that just gets me exciting when I see the archaeologists doing these types of things with Corinth. Well, here's Corinth, Isthmus. Um, it was a trade center. People traveled through it, so God in his providence had everyone coming through, even grandma coming through uh, this isthmus area. It was a very, very important area. And instead of shipping or the ships going all the way around through treacherous dangers, Dwight brought this out, they basically would, would um, see right there, they, they had actually this cement pad that went from one end of the isthmus to the others, and they put... Uh, you know, uh, put logs down and would roll these ships. Could you imagine sitting in Corinth? You know, you're sitting there having your Starbucks coffee and these ships are just slowly going by. You got to use your sanctified imagination. Isn't that cool? I tried to see if anyone had done an artist's conception of a ship going through Corinth, you know, but no one has done that. If any of you are gifted, I think that would be so cool. You know, it's interesting too. Um, Do I have the cruise boat picture? Okay, there's that. Um, Nero actually started carving that out, and, and then he stopped. I don't know if he died or something. And then they, they, they started digging again and carving this can, uh, canal out in the 1800s. And um, it's just kind of interesting. There it is from, the, from, from a satellite imagery, and you can see the, the canal there. This is a cruise boat going through it. Wow. Could you imagine a little bit to the right or to the left? You know, take out a balcony. All right, let's get into this. 
Um, the book outline, uh, this is from the Excel Ministries book on leadership, and it's a really good outline, Divisions, Disobedience, and dis- Difficulties, and I like that. It's concise. That's what we memorize. That's what our elders memorize when they're going through uh, ordination. Uh, but here's the book outline. I've taken it and adjusted it. This is uh, the MacArthur Study Bible. It's a really good outline. What, what I, I think is important for us to understand is, is that we have all sorts of problems. We have the charge to the church, hope of church. We have pr- problems in worship um, and liberty, 14, meat sacrifice to animals, marriage, all sorts of problems, immorality. You know, it, it, I, I had a hernia uh, last, last, last month. I went to the hospital, and, and they said, Chaz, just go sit there in the corner. We have 21 people, heart attack patients, people bleeding all over the place. So you just go over there and sit down in, in the corner, and we'll get to you eventually. I was triaged, right? A level of importance. I, my little hernia, though, it was hurting. Um, it had to be addressed, but not immediately. Well, look at what Paul does here. Um, he talks about all of these things. If I was triaging all the stuff that was happening in the Corinthian church... I would have the order different. But look what he starts with. What does he start with? Disunion in the church. And could it be that this is really the most important thing to address first is unity. Uh, you go to Philippians, it's the same thing, unity. I, I urge Yodid and Syntyche to, to get your act together, co-workers or fellow uh, workers in the faith. That, that's my translation. But the point is, is, is that this unity is number one. That tells you how important it is. Uh, not only then, but here in our church, Countryside Bible Church. It is so important. And how do we get there? How do we unify? Is it having extra, you know, extracurricular activities, you know, having ice cream out at the, you know, out in the center or going and having a potluck? Are, those, are all those things going to bring us together? Those are fun things, great things. They bring us in, into each other and we learn of each other. But there's something more, and that's what Paul is going to be addressing uh, in this chapter. The book theme uh, a weak commitment to doctrine and resolute commitment to disunity of doctrine will always weaken a local body of believers and destroy true unity. That's exactly what um, uh, we were uh, briefed earlier today by Daniel. Positively, doctrinal unity is clearly based on Christ and Scripture and both the foundation of all church life. And so when you come to an activity at Countryside Bible Church or some sort of a meeting, you're going to get a heavy dose of the Word of God because of this. Because we're commanded to do that. And, and, and we're not just programmatic. And we put everything together really nice and organized, but that's so this can take place. So look at uh, the overall key verses. Uh, for I think, you know, and, and it's hard to know what the overall theme or key verses is in the entire Corinthian chapter, but um, the word called is mentioned a lot. It's like 15 times, and it beats out Romans, and there's no other really uh, book in the, in, the, in the New Testament that, that called is, is, is mentioned as many times that it is in, in 1 Corinthians. Even above 2 Corinthians, it's mentioned once, and in 1 Corinthians, it's mentioned 14 or 15 times. Uh, God is faithful uh, through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. You see, that's, that's really the key to unity. And for consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh. In that verse, he's comparing the wisdom of the world to the wisdom that, that Daniel was talking about earlier today, the Word of God. We need the Word of God. And it started in Genesis and goes all the way through. You know, 
Proverbs um, 3, 5, and 6. We, we look at uh, other passages of Scripture, um, Psalm 1, all of these, Psalm 119. Uh, these are all important verses which talk about the centrality of God's Word. And, and if we looked at this chapter from, uh, chapter from verse 9 to 31, there's really three key verses. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions. Okay, that's the command. And then for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is the countermeasure that uh, the wisdom of the world compared to the wisdom that we find in God's word. And then the power of God. It is the power of God, um, Paul says in that verse. And then, of course, at the end, and we accentuated that already, um, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. All right. Well, let us look at the command. And we're going to go through this very, very quickly because we've already been through this passage. Uh, based on the theology of the first nine verses and our calling in Jesus Christ, uh, we need to understand that that's the basis of, of which we can uh, come together and be unified as a body of believers. And when I say unity of believers, I'm talking about the local church level. I'm sure there's the church universal. Pastor Tom talked about today. We're all going to be raptured up to the church, right? And we're going to be with, with our Lord forever. Well, that's the church universal, right? But, but, but we're talking about the individual. This is really the nuts and bolts of how we function as a, as a body of believers. The command, I exhort you, brethren, again, brethren, brothers, compassionate. Um, uh, can, Paul loves this church. Uh, that you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, a messenger was to be given exactly the same authority if he went out representing the king. In the name of the king, I exhort you to do this. Well, Paul's doing exactly the same thing with this passage. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm penning these words. Pay attention to what I'm about to say because these are the words of Christ. Uh, that there be no divisions among you. Um, uh, schisma is the Greek word, um, but it's, it's, a div it's a continental divide, if you will, or a fracture. Uh, the papyra used this with, uh, to denote wood splinters that would come off the main log um, in, in that idea. It's a separation. A plowing a field, you separate uh, the soil. And, that, and that's really the idea of the word, division right here. And Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Don't do that. Uh, that there be no divisions among you, uh, but that you be made complete, that you be made complete. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 11, if you want to write that down, finally, brethren, rejoice and be made complete. In, in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, I love this, as we night and day keep praying earnestly that we might see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So Paul is using it the, uh, the same way. It's, a, it's just a really, really important word. You know, the point here is not to stay as one large collection of people meeting for worship, but to act as one body unified with perfect agreement in what you believe in. And that takes us to the cause. Uh, what was the cause? Uh, I've been informed uh, by Chloe's people uh, that there are quarrels among you, uh, unseemly wranglings, uh, and he, he basically equates it to the deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 says, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, 
disputes, dissensions, and factions. Isn't it interesting that Paul puts that on the same plane of all the other garbage that can be uh, uh, among believers? And he says, stop it, stop it, stop it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish. And so that's the purpose of this letter. Paul can't come back to us. And I will say, I am so thankful to be in this church because this is not 1 Corinthians church, you know, you know, and I just thank God. But even Philippians, they had their act together. Paul says, I love what you're doing, but continue, continue down because we're all prone uh, to being dis you know, divided. We all are. We, we live in a sinful, sinful world, and, and we have been redeemed, but we are going through our sanctification. God is, is doing a work in us, but we're all capable of having a division. That's why the elders are so really, in, that's why we all have to be on the same sheet of music. That's why we all have to be letting the Word kind of regulate how we behave as a church and that's going to really dispel um, much of what uh, basically rips the church apart. I'm a Paul. I'm a Paulus. I'm Cephas. And we talked about that last week. I'm of Christ. Really, it's not the fact that I, the I am of Christ people are better than the others. It's the fact the I am of Christ people were using that as saying, you know what? I don't need to be a part of your group, your group, your group. We're of Christ. We're in a special, special category. And so that's the idea. Paulus was there, took on the church after Paul left. And then you have this thing between Peter and Paul, right? Uh, Paul confronted Peter, and I'm sure there were a lot of Peter's followers that were really angst about that. And so they would maybe be spreading some, some rumors about Paul or maybe saying, well, we're of Peter. And it was really a shame that he was embarrassed like that in Acts chapter 15. And then the Paul people say, yeah, well, you know, the, it's easy for us to basically land on a person rather than landing on the Almighty. So it takes us to, i got to move my slides up, the cause. And then the conflict, the conflict. Has Christ been divided? You know, is, is Paul crucified for you? And then we talk about baptism. I'm so thankful that I haven't baptized uh, all of you. And then you can just say, well, wait a second. I, it's Christmas and Gaius, you know. And then you can almost say if, if Paul is dictating this, you know, the secretary tells Paul, hey, what about Stephanus? Oh, yeah, okay. And that's right. And, and, and Stephanus, he, he, he's included in that. And you know, I love what I love about this is Paul is not omniscient. Sometimes we put him up on a pedestal. And when he's writing the word of God, he's, he's writing the words of God. But here's a guy, he's in the middle of, of talking about the Corinth church, even in the, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he can't remember whether or not he baptized, you know, some of these folks or if he baptized any more. I think that's great. And, and we need to understand that. Another application is, is Stephanus. Stephanus was a, a cool guy um, who really encouraged Paul. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 17, and 18, uh, uh, Stephanus really kept Paul rejoicing. I rejoice over the presence of Stephanus and, and Fortunus. And, and he goes on and says, For they have refreshed my spirit. 
How many of you have Stephanuses in your life where they refresh your spirit? How many of you are a Stephanus or a female Stephanus to those that you can be encouraged and refreshed? I really do believe our Lord Jesus Christ had Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And I do believe there's a special relationship and a joy. You can almost see Christ just lighting up when he saw Lazarus and when he was with Mary and Martha. And there was that special relationship. And I think that they were to Christ as Stephanus was to Paul. Anyway, um, we need to understand the fact that we have this, this division going on. And, 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 and Paul says, it doesn't matter about baptism. It doesn't matter the name that you're in, but this is the conflict. And it takes us then to the case, uh, the case. And, and that's really important. The case is, is beyond that, I do not know. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Well, well Paul, wh- why did Christ send you? And it's, the answer is, but to preach the gospel of Christ. You know? And, and it's important for us to understand that that was uh, the, 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 the focus there. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, the gospel which I gospelized to you. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. That's really the case. The cross of Christ, and, and not in cleverness of speech. And then that takes us now to the countermeasures that we are talking about. First of all, we look at the cross, starting in verse 18. And this is really important. In this section, we have eloquence of words. We have preaching the cross. We have Christ's word and the power of the cross in these next couple of verses. And what's interesting is Paul is going to reach back to verse 17, and he says he's taking that not cleverness of speech phrase, and he's contrasting it with what he deems most, purpose, uh, most important, and that's the preaching of the cross. For the word of the cross is foolishness, moron, foolishness. The only time it's used in the New Testament it is moron. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The, the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, is what he's saying. But, the, but, but, the, but, but to the world, it's, it's moronic. And when you're witnessing Christ, <laughs> a man crucified, buried, you know, people think we're moronic. And, and that's just so foolish, that message, from their perspective. But, but from our perspective and what Paul's going to tell us, this is so important. This is the, 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 the gold nugget of, of why we are alive today, and that's to preach Christ. He goes on and says it's the power of the cross. Uh, but the word of the cross is the power of the cross uh, to those who are being saved by it. You know, and there's a sharp contrast to those who are perishing uh, and written in the same construction. Salvation is defined by the context, and in this case, all three aspects of salvation are really embodied here. It, it's the power uh, of God to, to those who are being saved by it, or you being being saved by it. And, and that really takes us to a theology lesson that the salvation is in three parts. Uh, we have the past salvation, don't we? we it was a completed action. And the aorist tense brings that out, not exclusively because the aorist tense can be used in a lot of different ways, but it's, it's, it's punctiliar. It happened. There are time and place when you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we have a number of verses that are up there that you can, and I'm going to post these slides too. So if you want to uh, go back and look at them, they'll be posted in a couple of days. But that's salvation. Uh, and then it's a continuing process uh, through life. It's what Daniel was saying. We need the word of God. Um, I, I, I have knee problems. 
And, and, and so um, I was thinking, oh, man, I'm going to have to get surgery. And I was popping Motrin like it was just like every night. It was so, so hard. But then I went and saw Matthew. Matthew, raise your hand. Where's Matthew? Matthew, I know you're in here. There's Matthew. If you ever need a physical therapist, it's so great. <laughs> so I'm seeing Matthew right now. No kidding. And, and so I go there on, on Wednesday, and he just makes my legs so sore. But what he's doing is he's readjusting. Yeah, you do. He's readjusting my bones so they're lined up, right? Because what happens, he tells me that between the last, you know, uh, uh, session I had with him, it slowly kind of gets off, off kilter again. And so then he brings it back. Isn't that cool? Isn't that the, what, that's, that's sanctification right now. That's us getting to the word. That's us working our salvation in fear and trembling. That's, that's where we're at right now. And, and so we just are getting a dose of Matthew when we open up the word. You hate me, don't you? <laughs> so, there's a third uh, part of salvation, and that's our future glorification. Aren't you glad about that? You know, uh, a future consummation. What Paul, um, not Paul, <laughs> Paul, what uh, Tom was uh, speaking on today in church. I- incredible. We have, our Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much, and he's coming back for his church. And I can't wait for that. I can't wait to be in, in heaven. I can't wait to get my glorified body. And all these are future, but that's our, our future salvation. It's interesting. I wanted to bring out one, one little thing in this to jump forward. Um, there was a problem. We were kind of contrasting the wisdom of the world uh, to um, the wisdom of Lord. And, and so what happens in, in this passage you get to the point, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And that's in verse 19. What is that? Why does he include that Old Testament passage? If you have a, a Bible, they'll usually indent or, or put in caps um, Old Testament quotes. Well, what's happening here is, is Isaiah 29, 14. And, and the context is so important to this passage. Uh, in Isaiah's time, the nation of Judah had just made an alliance with Egypt in preparation for the coming invasion of Sennacherib rather than rely on the power of God to protect them. So they were, they were misbehaving, okay? They were using their own wisdom, their pragmatic wisdom to uh, be able to, to basically fight the enemy rather than turning to God. But there was a great king called Hezekiah. And in, in 2 Kings 19, 14 through 19, Hezekiah takes uh, the letter from the hand of the messengers and he reads it. And he goes to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord and he said, Lord, he prayed, I am in a mess right now. And this large army is coming to, to basically impale us as a city. Uh, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear upon your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. So he has a letter right there, and he cries to God. Uh, humanly speaking, uh, Egypt was going to be a good ally. They were a powerful army, right? Using the world's wisdom. And yet they were defying the law of God. God said, don't mess with Egypt. Just come before me. Well, now they're in a situation where Hezekiah does that and God intervenes. Uh, For the rest of the story, God sends an angel, one angel. And in one night, he kills how many people? 180-something thousand troops. One angel. One angel. And, And so what Paul is trying to say is that from the world's standpoint, that would never happen. 
And from the world's standpoint, the philosophy is what we're going to hold on to. We're going we're to pay attention to the guy with the white lab coat that says that we're billions of years old. We're going to pay attention to all of the pragmatic things that are before us. And God is saying, don't do that. Uh, open up the word and let the word marinate through your life. And, and that's exactly, and here's an example, the retreat of Sennacherib. And actually, there's all of these um, great carvings where they put, um, you can actually see the retreat in some of the carvings in the walls. So it's, this is his uh, siege of Lasish, which was going to happen right before Jerusalem. But God had different plans. He goes back to his uh, hometown, and he's assassinated by his own family, and, and he's gone. Well, that takes us to the calling, uh, the calling, verse 26. I know we're skipping through, but, but real quick, human knowledge and understanding never reveals the specifics of how to be saved and how to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people like philosophy. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm a philosopher, and isn't it great? I've learned all of these things through my human reasoning. But what happens is the philosophy guy, if he's a Christian, then has to go to the Word of God and then look for the, uh, the parallels, what's good, what isn't. Well, why didn't you just start with the word to begin with, you know? And, and the, the naturalist says, okay, well, evolution and this and this and this and this. And then they go to the word of God and they realize, uh-oh, uh, the Bible says something different. So I'm either going to compromise the word of God or I'm going to hold on to my science and let my science trump um, what's written in the word of God. The point I'm making is that we need to begin with God's word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the first Hebrew character, and go all the way through to Revelation. And we need to be serious about it. We need to understand what God is trying to communicate to us. In verse 22, the Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for, for wisdom. And I like verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now we'll get to 26, and we'll talk about the calling of the chosen. For consider your calling, brethren, verse 26, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many mobile. And, and I would, I would um, really allow us to kind of vegetate on how, how precious that is, that God has chosen uh, <laughs> us, we're really the counter of what he's talking about here, right? Many of you are very smart, and I understand that. But he, look at his 12 disciples. I mean, these guys weren't, you know, the, the Greek philosophers of the day. Uh, these were just ordinary fishermen, people who are non-academic, and yet God basically chose those folks. He chose you. He chose me, uh, not according to the flesh, not many mighty or not many noble. Paul says, not many opposed to not any. And, and basically, God often, and McDonald says this, passes by who humans view as the most likely to be his instrument. You know, we get into trouble when we, when we think ourselves great. And uh, the king uh, in Daniel 4.30 said, is this not Babylon the great? You know, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty. See, here was someone, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, who looked basically away from God and the wisdom of God and foolishly bought into the fact, hey, look what I've done. Look what I've done. And then he was, of course, sent out to pastor, preferably speaking, right? And then in Zechariah 4, 6, and 7, 
Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, another king, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But verse 27, it says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things to shame. Look at the strange actions of God in the Bible. And real quick, we can rehearse them. You can think about them in your mind, but creation in six days, a worldwide flood that destroys the entire world. Who would have even predicted that? People didn't even know what an ark was for when it was built, the hundred years plus that, that Noah's preaching, right? And this big barge is sitting there. They didn't even know what it was going to be used for, technically speaking, because they'd never seen anything like that. The foolishness of, of, of what appears to be foolish, but it's the divine hand of God working. A pillar of salt, uh, losing a wife. Destruction of the city, Sodom. Uh, three men thrown into a furnace, killing the executioners before they even get near the furnace. An old couple bearing a child. That happened several times in the Old Testament. Abraham. Jericho's wall fell by marching around the city. Gideon's army was victorious when God reduced their number. Samson defeated armies with a jawbone as a weapon. We can't explain these things away through natural processes. Jesus feeds thousands with a small number of loaves and, and this stinking body that's been in a grave four days is raised from the dead, Lazarus. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. And that, that's one. And what's the reason, verse 29, what's the reason? Why does God do all this? It's really to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be lovers of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be lovers of his word. And, and so... No man may boast before God. It's not the Apostle Paul that we rely on. It's not Apollos. It's not Pennington or Lawson or MacArthur or anyone else that we, we really love to esteem, and we're all tempted to do that. But it's, but it's the Lord. No person can boast. It's, it's Jesus Christ, right? And, and we get to the sola fide, um, faith alone in verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, Christ is personified as wisdom. And, and we have righteousness, things that are right. We have uh, our salvation, justification, the power of God, sanctification. Uh, all four of these elements, and you should underline, this is a really important verse. In, in the Bible, because Paul, again, is bringing it all back to unity, that it's the Word of God, and, and, and this is what it's accomplishing in our lives. We have the wisdom taking on the mind of Christ to understand God's written Word. At the moment of salvation, you were given the mind of Christ. You understand that? Righteousness. We are declared righteous before God. We are the righteousness of Him in Christ Jesus. And, and then the doctrine of justification was imputed in our account based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And sanctification, that sanctification immediately begins at the moment of salvation. Do you realize that? That, 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 that stamp, that, that sanctification, but the emphasis and the thrust there is a holy living. And so it begins at the moment of salvation, and then it carries on all the way through until we leave this earth and go to be with the Lord. Sanctification immediately begins at the moment of salvation. It's not a second blessing. It's not a second dose of pixie dust. It's not a third baptism 
like some people like to. No, you get everything pertaining to life and godliness at the moment of salvation, and sanctification begins in your life. And like justification, sanctification comes also in three stages. We're sanctified, we're set apart from the world, we're set apart from our pursuit of sin to pursue in holiness our Lord intensely as our lover, Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Lawson says about that. When we enter salvation's narrow gate, we also walk down sanctification's narrow path in obedience. I love that. Uh, There's nothing in Scripture, uh, no wiggle room at all, that says a new believer uh, is to walk the broad path or that a new believer just there's no fruit at all in that person's life. There's no indication in that in Scripture. And right now, Paul has bundled all of those things up into one statement that we are saved to bear to bear fruit. And then there's perfected sanctification, which occurs when we enter the gates of heaven. That's where we'll be meeting all our loved ones, right? And glorification entirely set apart. And Lawson says this also, uh, justification and sanctification are the heads and tails of the same coin. I mean, he actually, if you want to go to our website, he, he spoke uh, at our service on um, 1 Corinthians 1.30. And, um, and he, he talks about that, but also in, in, in relationship to um, one of the, the Puritan preachers in the United States. But it's a fantastic message. I've listened to it like five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And so he takes 1 Corinthians 1.30 and, and, and lays it over the life of Jonathan Edwards. And, and he ends up in the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. It actually motivated me to sit down and, and, and pen out some, some resolutions, resolution, resolution um, for my own life. And I would encourage you to listen to that message. It, it, it was, it's phenomenal. Faith alone saves, but the faith that is alone does not save. Faith without works um, is not saving faith. If you have uh, friends, relatives, and whatnot, oh, Joe, you know, um, is Joe a believer? Well, I'm not sure. You know what? Chances are Joe's not a believer. I'm sorry, I'm not trying. I always pick Joe. I got to pick another name. Tom. Or maybe Chaz. Okay, Chaz, because I don't think there are any Chazes in this room. The faith that saves is a living faith that is beginning of a whole new pilgrim's progress as the sanctifying hand of God's Holy Spirit moves us in a holy and sanctifying direction in a godly walk. The bottom line is there will always be good works as a result of justification, saving faith. It's like what um, Pastor Vikram said in the marriage. It's, it's all about direction, not perfection. And, and we need to understand that. You know, we, we, we we're sinners, right? But yet we are progressing and we're growing and we're, 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 we're maturing. All right. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos or Peter or our favorite teacher or Pennington or MacArthur. Uh, we are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And then we have the so word. Look at verse 31. You see all the different so, for, by the way, you know, and so it's what's so cool about um, the passage, they're all connected. And, and Paul's making an argument. So we have these divisions. He says, unify. And, and we and unify on what? Unify around the Word of God. And, and if, if you're committed to the Word of God, that's going to bring us together. It's the glue that holds us together as a, a body of believers. And I can't underestimate how important that is. 
And it all boils down to Jesus Christ. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this is a quotation from Jeremiah 9.24. Let him who boasts, boast as a result of what has been done for us is really the implication here. Let him who boasts, boasts in having an understanding of God and his word, the law of liberty, if we put it in, in those terms. In Jeremiah 9.23, uh, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let the mighty man boast of his might, but let not a rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises steadfast love, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's, that's exactly what Paul is saying and then that's what Jeremiah is saying. So let's go ahead and, and look at our, our implications very quick before I turn into a pumpkin, which will be very short. This is what Robertson says factional strife, immorality, perverted ideas about marriage, the abuse of spiritual gifts, and the resurrection. These complicated problems are a vivid picture of church life in our cities today. Not necessarily here, but it, it plagues churches across the United States. But the power of God, dunamis thou, uh, revealed in his word and applied by the Holy Spirit is the only agent that can save us, past, present, and future. And the power of God and his wisdom is superior to all earthly ways. That's power, the power of God. Uh, hope, hope, uh, hope for any local church. No church caused Paul more angst in his life than the Corinthian church, but he loved them. And, and so there's hope. Even when we have problems, have future problems that we might have at CBC, if we're, a, if, if we're committed to the word, we're gonna get through those, those, those problems because of, of the word of God. And, and so we can hope. And if you're associated with other churches, your family, associated with other churches that are just kind of semi-broken or not doing too well, there's hope. Uh, if, if, if the Corinthians could, could have hope, then, then any church on the face of this earth can also have that hope. Factions, factions arise when we elevate and promote people and ideologies above the person and name of Christ and his written word. Remember those four eyes. I am this, I am that, I am that, I am that. And, and, and it's our prone as humans to raise people or put them on a pedestal. Well, MacArthur says this, so therefore it must be right, you know. And he's right most of the time, but no human is right all the time. You know, we're fallible, and we need to understand that, um, and that's important. The secular methods and human wisdom will fail, and if we wanted to go back to, to um, Ecclesiastes. And, and we have this king that tries to find all the human wisdom that he can, and he says it just it can't move mountains, it can't do. It's frustrating, you get angry, frustrated. That's Solomon when he's looking for the philosophy uh, of, of the world. and You can't do it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 9, we can't write it right, read it right now, but that also brings back up the, these divisions. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So Paul repeats it and gives us more of a, a delineation of who's actually working when Apollos is preaching or Paul is preaching or Peter is preaching. Secular methods that appear wisest, prudent, or even obvious to human reason, hey, let's make this alliance with Egypt, 
The wisdom of the world can often be wrong in the workings of Yahweh. And, and compassion should dominate the way we interact with the unsaved and other and believers in Christ. And, and look how Paul affectionately and compassionately uh, uh, addresses this church. I like 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Humility leads, uh, well, my daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches who is weak without my being weak, who is led into sin without my intense concern. Intense concern. Paul had an intense. How concerned are we for our brothers and sisters in Christ? How concerned are we for our brothers and sisters in Christ when they're struggling with sin or immorality or anxiousness or anything else? We need to follow Paul's example. And then number 10 or 9, I'm sorry, Humility leads disciples down the narrow path of self-denial and unity. And number 10, boasting must be reserved for the almighty trinity. I hope that's, I know we went through fast, but don't you see the connection between the two? We have division, and, and this is really the countermeasure, the antidote. And we can't get enough of this, is really what Paul is saying. And he's going to continue on uh, next week with Brian. We're going to talk more about the divisions that are within the church. And we're going to see it in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father and our God, what a, what a blessing this morning has been. Thank you, Father, that we would just really latch on to um, uh, Dr. Schubert's words. And what a great introduction. And thank you, Father, for inspiring the Apostle Paul to uh, really direct our attention to how devastating disunity can be on a body of believers. The great divide, if you will. And thank you, Father, for the countermeasure, your word. And I pray that we would always, as a, as a, as a church, be um, fixed on your word. I pray that that would be the, the dominating theme of everything that we do as a church here, and, and that we would always look to your word. And, and really above that, looking to Christ, falling more and more in love with our Lord Jesus Christ, and falling more and more in love with wanting to obey him and his word. And understanding that we're not alone, but it's the power of God that not only saves us, but it saves us right now in our sanctification as we, as we serve you. And we're not alone. And the wisdom of this world may look so um, attractive, but yet to you, um, uh, even the most simple thing that you do in the universe is, is levels above any, any human understanding. And so we just thank you now, and we pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.